This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here is Professor Mike Yuseem, Jeffrey Klein, and Anne Greenhall. Hey, hey, welcome to Leadership in Action. This is Sirius XM Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. We're here at Channel 132, and so are you, if you hear my voice. Uh, I'm Jeff Klein. I'm the Executive Director of the Ann and John McNulty Leadership Program here at Wharton. And I'm here in the studio with my good buddies, Ann Greenhall, Deputy Director of that very same program. Hi, Jeff. And Mike Yuseem, the Director of the Center for Leadership and Change Management. Hello, Jeff. So how are we? My people? Good. Doing yeah. great. Good. Yeah. First day, first full day of spring, I think. The first full day of spring. Yes. And and I, I think we were all just at the same event. Am I right about that? I that is we true. That is true. So um, just, a, well, maybe about an hour ago, wrapping up here on campus, our very own Adam Grant, who's been a, a frequent guest here on this show and mm-hmm. is known for his scholarly work, his uh, practitioner-oriented work, and his many, many Instagram posts. <laughs> Interviewed the one and only Doug Peterson. Yes. Head coach of the, I think we're, we're still saying world champion Philadelphia Eagles, right? <laughs> I think we can I mean, say that. You know, we still you, say we, that. We can always say that. will be. <laughs> yeah. And so they had a they had a pretty good conversation, and we're going to have a pretty good conversation. Yes. Wait, wait do you see what I do here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going to have a pretty good conversation in just a couple minutes with Nancy Brown, who is the CEO of the American Heart Association and specifically focused on the Heart, Asso- Heart Association's CEO roundtable and a, a report that that roundtable has just issued around mental health hmm. and the workforce. And I was struck in the conversation Adam was having with Doug about Doug's thoughts, you know, on really how to manage his employees, how to manage his players, mm-hmm. right? And, um, you know, I think for anyone who's ever, you know, seen Doug on TV or had the privilege to meet Doug, he is uh, a pretty affable guy, um, uh, has a, a very kind of workmanlike attitude, mm-hmm. you know. And so it won't surprise listeners for us to report that Doug says he's not a screamer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but that he preferred... To have a one-on-one conversation mm-hmm. with someone, if he if he had to, you know, provide some feedback, do other things, and 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 I think that's interesting from the you know the frame that we're going to take in a few minutes with with Nancy and and when we think about the workforce in general, right, mm-hmm. and and the health of the workforce, and and so I wonder for for both of you as as we get into the, to tonight's show, as you look back on your own career and and the the bosses, the mentors, the coaches that you've had, like. What have been the things that have mm-hmm. built you up as an employee, as a as an educator, um, and you know contributed to your sense of engagement, well being, et cetera? I can do that, Jeff. I once uh, reported to uh, Richard Herring, uh, vice dean, yeah. when he was vice dean of the undergraduate division, and one of the things that so impressed me about him was that. I never saw him say anything disparaging about anyone we had just met with <laughs> after they walked out the door. Mm-hmm. And what and that doesn't mean that he didn't have opinions. I'm sure he did. But he never mm-hmm. said anything disparaging. And so that always gave me the feeling that when I walked out the door, <laughs> that he wouldn't <laughs> say anything disparaging about me. Mm-hmm. And to just link this to SiriusXM Leadership in Action, it now reminds me of a conversation we had with Amy Edmondson when she talked about psychological safety. And what that mm-hmm. did for me was make me feel more safe in his presence, and in fact, when I was outside of his presence. So I always really uh, admired and appreciated that and would hope that I would bring that myself to the meetings that I hold. That's great. great. So, Anne, I've got an example that for me also stands out like it happened yesterday. I was invited to become an administrator at another university by a very senior administrator, And I was cautious about taking a job. I wasn't ambivalent, but I was cautious. And I said, though, 
I'm going to show up for work on Monday, and I really hope to get up to speed pretty quickly within at least a couple months. And he said, how about Monday afternoon? (laughs) So it really stayed with me. When you've taken a job, get into it with both feet. Wow. Yeah. That's really affected my thinking for the last uh, X years. And, and how was the immersion process? <laughs> uh, it was a baptism by fire within. It wasn't even the first afternoon. It was yeah. the first morning. I was right into it. So don't be shy. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Well, how about you, Jeff? Yeah. <clears throat> um, I mean, I can I can think of <clears throat> so many of these kinds of examples, but but one that happened to me <clears throat> really recently was. Um, we just launched a program over in, in Shanghai. Yes. And it was an adaptation of a program we've been running for a long time, but we had to do two things which were both significant. One was we had to modularize it. So rather than run it over five straight weeks, run one-week periods with large gaps in between. And the second was deliver it to a non-English-speaking, Mandarin-speaking audience. Mm-hmm. And um, – our longtime listeners may know <laughs> that I don't speak Mandarin. <laughs> yes. um, and so the one of the things that that I really appreciated, there are a number of people who were over there, um, our dean, Jeff Garrett, mm-hmm. another guest, uh, former guest on, on our show here, uh, was one of them. And, you know, he took the time multiple times over the course of um, many days to he would stand up from, you know, the table he was sitting at or the things he was doing and he would walk over and he would just explain something, usually something kind of minor that was going on, but that he was noticing. And he would explain it to me in a way that gave me a little more insight into oh, what great. was happening, mm-hmm. you know, culturally in the room. And and I find, you know, the, like the value of that for me is is twofold. One, I get this little more cultural insight mm-hmm. each time he makes the investment. But the, the second thing was... The fact that he know, he knew that, that you know I was very much a, a neophyte in China, mm-hmm. um, and he was willing to keep coming back and making that kind of investment, right? right? Coaching and, you, yeah, and and That's great. both both the content and the the decision or the process, mm-hmm. I think, inc- would inc- increase my engagement. Right. Certainly, in- increase my um, trust in him. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Yeah. So two examples. So now watch now now yeah, I segue now, let's back. Let's see the segue. It's amazing. <laughs> right? So a lot of us, um, especially those who who work within the field of management and organizational behavior, we're thinking all the time about employees and the organizations they're a part of, and the questions of fit, and the questions of engagement, and the questions of you know really productivity and, and morale and everything else. And, and you know one core core aspect of that. I think is related to mental health, right? And mm-hmm. and related to these, you know, we, we talk about it at Penn all the time, and we've mm-hmm. uh, we've had a chief wellness officer, uh, Benoit Dubay, who's been appointed here uh, by our university president. And, and so, you know, the interesting thing I think about the conversation we're about to have with Nancy Brown, the CEO of the American Heart Association, is that. You know, we read or hear almost every day about either rising rates of depression or suicide or, you know, this alarming increase in in the amount of violence that, you know, is being reported that um, we're being exposed to. And so this new report that was commissioned by a group of top executives is really about the role that employers can play in promoting mental health, right, and and promoting um, the positive development of mental health um, and the ways that employers can help those who are struggling. So the report is called Mental Health, a Workforce Crisis, and it offers seven actionable strategies for managers and leaders um, and, and really represents, I think, an important resource for the business community, the organizational community. So with, with that as maybe an intro... Um, and what our listeners can't see is Anne's just, she's leaning <laughs> yeah. over, she's patting me on the back. <laughs> yes. She loves segue yes. out, segue <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Great I mean, job, it's just, Jeff. It's magic that happens it is here magic. in the studio. <laughs> um, so I want to welcome onto the show tonight, Nancy Brown. How are you tonight, Nancy? Hi, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for including me. Of course. We are um, delighted to have you here. We want to um, talk more about your role as the CEO of the American Heart Association and then Certainly, um, certainly, you know, talk about the Heart Association CEO Roundtable and, and this uh, report that has just been issued. Um, 
So if I may, Nancy, what I'm going to do is just say a little bit more about you, a little bit more about the CEO roundtable, and then we will dive into a dialogue, okay? Perfect. All right. So CEO roundtable formed in 2013, um, really to help companies that either offer or aspire to offer workplace health programs. Um, and, and they wanted data, they wanted advice on, on what would work best. Um, you, Nancy, you were instrumental in, in creating the roundtable. Um, and <clears throat> as part of that role, you've also been the CEO of the American Heart Association since 2009. Um, just to say a word about the American Heart Association, world's largest voluntary health organization dedicated to preventing, treating, defeating cardiovascular diseases and stroke. Um, and, and Nancy, hopefully we'll have time to get into some of the innovations that you've been leading um, at the AHA as well, um, you know, from the uh, innovation think tank to some of the new and exciting partnerships that you've, you've been able to launch. Wow. Yeah, Great. that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, Jeff. I'm just, I'm just happy we're all here together. Yeah. I'm happy we're all here together. Um, tell us if you can, Nancy, uh, maybe we'll kind of start with the roundtable work here, um, you know, given the conversation that Anna, Mike, and I were just having. Um, what is it that you were hearing from the CEOs on the roundtable? What is it that you were experiencing as an organizational leader that really led to the focus on um, mental health and how employers could support their workforce? Sure. Well, thank you so much um, for all those kind of introductions. And um, you're exactly right. We created the CEO roundtable several years ago because we were hearing from large um, uh, corporate CEOs of large corporations, that they were very focused on improving health and well-being in the workplace and that they wanted a forum and ideas of how to share with each other and learn about evidence-based best practices. So that really is the you know, beginning of the CEO roundtable. And as the roundtable has grown over time and taken on certain issues that are important to employees around engagement, um, what we... Uh, began to understand is that this uh, idea or this topic that we needed to focus on more than just physical health, but also mental health became very, very important. And we recognized that for a number of reasons. Number one, we um, looked at what were some of the issues that were coming through companies, what were, what were CEOs and their um, senior executives hearing about things that mattered to employees. And, and really this idea that mental health challenges, i.e. depression, anxiety, you know, family members that have um, or employees themselves that have uh, diagnosed uh, mental health conditions, that these were um, really impacting a number of employees in the workplace. And I think it's one of these topics that hasn't had the level of discussion and strategy around it. And so we at the American Heart Association very much wanted to take this issue on with the CEO roundtable. And so what we did first is we listened and learned about what some of the issues were that our CEOs and their companies were facing and things that we were hearing about um, ourselves within the American Heart Association. We're an employer of about 4,000 people. Some of our our CEOs have hundreds of thousands of people, but um, it really doesn't matter the size of the company. We recognize that this concept of not disconnecting the, you know, the the mind from the rest of the body is really important. And so we began to listen and learn what the issues are, and then we went to work in trying to um, understand through expert panels and scientific experts, you know, really what are some of the state of the art solutions that we could identify and then how could we bring those visibility within the roundtable companies, but really within all companies throughout the country. So that's a little bit of background of the work. That's great. And, and as, as the report's been issued, you know, what's some of the, you know, and, and we certainly want to get into the, the heart of the content, but I'm just curious, what, it, what has been some of the response that you've received as you've published this and, and people have started to integrate it into their understanding? You know, it's it's been an overwhelmingly positive response. Um, I can tell you that um, through very, you know, through any avenue or any venue that you might measure reports or results, um, we've heard very positive feedback. People are very grateful um, to have an organization like the American Heart Association. Mm -hmm adding its voice to other very important voices on this topic on behalf of people, 
um, you know, who have um, mental health challenges or issues. And I think that people really are looking for strategies and solutions. And I can tell you, even within my own organization, when we announced this work last uh, winter, and then certainly when we announced the report and the outcomes of the report to our employees, I had so many of our employees write to say thank you or let me tell you the story about my family. Mm. You know, my father committed suicide when I was four, and I've lived with that my whole life. Or, you know, I have high blood pressure and diabetes, and I'm constantly, you know, faced with anxiety about that. You know, so, so lots of stories, personal stories have come out, and I feel like it's a wonderful byproduct of this work is that we must create an open environment for people to bring their best selves to work every single day. And that's certainly one of the things we're trying to do with this report. Thank you, Nancy. And, and I want to remind our listeners that this is Leadership in Action on Business Radio, Sirius XM 132. I'm your host, Jeff Klein, and our guest tonight is Nancy Brown, CEO of the American Heart Association. If at any point during our conversation you have a question about something we're talking about, please give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And Nancy, it's a real pleasure to speak with you tonight. And I'm wondering what was one of the um, evidence-based best practices that uh, stands out for you as a result of the roundtable report? Yeah. You know, we actually, the the um, report, which officially is titled Mental Health, a Workforce Crisis, really has seven actionable strategies and a few that I might highlight, um, you know, that are so important, uh, uh, we believe, is first of all, um, reversing this uh, stigma and potential discrimination towards people who are managing mental health disorders and by creating an environment where people can come forward um, if they choose to either access benefits or resources that the company offers and or, you know, talk with leaders and colleagues about problems that they may be um, facing in their lives. And so training leaders to recognize the signs of emotional distress and making sure resources like an employee assistance program are fully utilized are a couple of the things um, that we have uh, highlighted in our report. Mm. I so appreciate that you mentioned reversing stigma. As uh, both Mike and Jeff will know, one of my jogging partners is a clinical psychologist who often says that uh, really one of the greatest barriers in her area is the stigma that people feel when they are facing anxiety or depression. And her her specialty is postpartum depression. And even there, mothers are very um, hesitant to be labeled as someone who suffers from postpartum depression. So I'm wondering, you know, what how, what do you do in a concrete way to create a more welcoming environment so that people feel able to step forward and get the help that they need? Yeah, you know, I think it all starts, um, you know, like everything, leadership starts at the top. And I think modeling um, and creating a culture where people realize and recognize that there is a value on people, um, you know, utilizing their their time in the workplace to get the assistance they need and that there is a, um, a warm and receptive environment among leaders, managers, HR executives to help our employees and their family members access the resources they need. You know, another thing that's important and we encourage people to do through the report is actually to do an inventory of the benefits that are offered for uh, for employees and family members to be able to access the resources they need. I think, you know, we spend uh, so much time in our companies designing benefit programs to make sure we're dealing with chronic diseases, you know, making sure that there's a full suite of mental health services available to employees is also very, very important. And it's hard to be exactly precise because each of us, you know, have a different expectation of our employer. But this idea that um, we can be our best at work and bring our whole selves to work um, and to be able to do that proudly in an environment that supports us, no matter what issue we're facing, um, I think is something that all of our companies and certainly our CEO roundtable companies would aspire to. That's great. Well, Nancy, let me bring Mike into the conversation. Well, Nancy, great to have a chance to talk uh, these issues through with you. And I'm really curious about the title of your roundtable, the CEO roundtable. I'm intrigued by that because my guess is if this was, let's say, 15 years ago, it might have been called the corporate roundtable. 
but mm-hmm. putting the CEO in the title of the of the round of the roundtable task force itself, I think, is speaking to the fact that leadership starts at the top. So, if you could uh, talk through the choice of CEOs, why you got them involved, and then what you hope to get from them above and beyond what you might have drawn if companies were members but CEOs were not active. Yeah, uh, you really have hit the core of uh, the creation of the roundtable. And I'll tell you, back when uh, the CEO roundtable was created, um, it was a time where there were a lot of questions and uncertainties about healthcare delivery in this country um, and expectations on uh, corporations, especially in earnings calls and other kinds of things about, you know, future value of healthcare expenses. Um, not to go down a rabbit trail, but you might remember that those days when there was a thought that there would be a tax per, per, per employee on companies to help uh, pay for health insurance for all. And, we, and a lot of CEOs were getting questions on investor calls, and they weren't as well-versed in this area because traditionally things around employee health and well-being and benefit design and cost transparency were things that were delegated to, you know, executives and human resources and managed very well by those folks. Suddenly, this became a a CEO issue, not an HR issue. And at that moment, we recognized that we had a lot of value um, that we could add at the American Heart Association, both in convening um, CEOs of of many different types of, of organizations, as well as bringing expertise to the table, policy experts, science experts, um, healthcare delivery experts, surveying experts, employee experts, consumer experts, to really um, uh, to, to add value to the work the CEOs were doing. And so we have never um, wavered since the CEO roundtable was formed that this would be anything but CEOs of these organizations. I will tell you that um, underneath the CEO roundtable, each CEO has a lieutenant or a right-hand person um, that works on a more day-to-day basis with the uh, staff of the AHA to bring to life all the initiatives, whether it's this initiative or our, um, we have a, an initiative where we are actually recognizing um, with the heart check mark um, uh, companies throughout the country who are providing uh, what we believe is a designed healthy workplace for employees. And so whatever the initiative might be, the lieutenants are helpful in that. But this roundtable itself is is led by and designed only for CEOs. And Nancy, let me pick up on that and think about how you are delivering the message or communicating what you <clears throat> would like many, many companies or even beyond companies to, to think about and adopt. In your report, you have uh, in some detail what Uh, many of the companies are doing. And I'm thinking when it comes to evidence-based best practices, we look to the evidence. And then secondly, we look to whether other companies that we look to for other kinds of guidance have picked up on some of the better practices that evidence seems to support. So going with that and looking for an example, what would be uh, an instance you might single out? A little bit like Ann asked you about Uh, One example of one of the better practices, getting rid of the stigma against mental health disorders. What would be another kind of um, example that you've seen in one of the participating companies that other companies can look at and say, whoa, that's something we ought to try? Yeah. Well, you know, I would um, highlight in this area of mental health and well-being, Kaiser Permanente and their CEO, Bernard Tyson, Mm -hmm who is um, both a member of our CEO roundtable and a member of the American Heart Association's corporate board of of directors. Um, Bernard has done an amazing job creating open forums for discussions about issues that people are, are dealing with in their lives. And he personally leads some of these sessions and personally trains supervisors and leaders of Kaiser Permanente on, you know, how to pay attention for signs that somebody may need help and assistance. And he, um, with, of course, the permission of his employees, as, as just like in my organization, many of his employees have come forward over time to share their stories. He has encouraged them to share stories with other people so that there hmm. is, can be created a sense within 
Kaiser Permanente that individuals aren't alone, right? That other people are um, are dealing with issues, and perhaps then informal support networks can be formed. So that would be you know, one example um, that I could bring to life of of how this has benefited. And and I'll say about the CEO Roundtable mm-hmm. in and of itself that this is a group of you know 45 or so CEOs, but through the American Heart Association's broad network, um, we publish reports like this, we create case studies, we create technology tools so that any company in America can take the resources that we're developing and use them. This is not at all exclusive. Um, We kind of think of the roundtable as an incubator um, for these things that we're um, trying to develop and promote. So, Nancy, as we uh, as we move to a break in a couple minutes here, I I just wanted to tee up a little bit and, and hearing this you know, the, the conversation about the engagement with, with your CEOs. Um, one of the things that I'm thinking is that through their participation, um, there will be both the emotional appeal, appeal and the human appeal. There's also going to be uh, an economic logic to the arguments and the, the evidence-based proposals that are being put forward. So can, can you give us just some broad brushstrokes around the, uh, the business case for employers to get involved here? Sure. You know, I think just like um, physical health, you know, chronic health conditions, blood pressure, elevated blood pressure, people who have type 2 diabetes, individuals who are overweight, you know, we often worry for those individuals first and foremost about their life and their healthfulness and well-being Mm -hmm. and also the fact that for them as individuals and for the company, you know, there's a lot of expense going in to help people manage these health conditions. And so the whole idea and one of the, you know, things we stand for at the American Heart Association is if you can get ahead of these issues through prevention and help people be inspired to live healthier lives, you know, people won't have to suffer with some of these chronic conditions. And I think from if you now connect the mental health to the physical health, it's really the same thing. And and helping people understand that there are resources available that can be anonymous and confidential can help people live their best life um, and have the help that might be so important to them at that given moment so that they then um, can not only have the help they need personally, but bring them that, their best selves to work. I think we know that um, individuals who are facing chronic health conditions, they have family members who are facing chronic mm-hmm. health conditions, have mental health conditions or family members or dealing with elder care or child care, it's very hard, you know, to have the level of productivity that the individual wants for themselves or that the company might want. And, and so those would be some of the business reasons that this is so important. All right. Well, thank you for that, Nancy. And we're going to take a short break right now. We'll encourage our listeners to stay with us. Uh, After the break, we'll be talking more with Nancy Brown, who's the CEO of the American Heart Association, uh, about the work of the CEO Roundtable and the report recently issued, Mental Health, a Workforce Crisis. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm here with Ann Greenhall and Mike Useem, and you're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. You're listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Professor Mike Useem, Jeffrey Klein, and Ann Greenhall. Welcome back. It's Leadership in Action on Sirius XM's Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. I'm Jeff Klein, Executive Director of the McNulty Leadership Program, and I'm here with my good buddies, Ann Greenhall and Mike Useem. Also, of the Wharton School. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Incidentally. Yeah, Incidentally. Just, they also wear the W. <laughs> right. All right. Our guest this evening is Nancy Brown. Uh, Nancy is CEO of the American Heart Association. And right before the break, we were talking about the business case for employers uh, to get involved and to support those uh, facing mental health <laughs> challenges, either their own mental health challenges or, you know, I think as Nancy pointed out, the support and care of uh, their loved ones as well. And so, Anne, why don't I uh, bring you back in? Oh, thank you, Jeff. Well, Nancy, uh, when Jeff asked you earlier about the response uh, to the roundtable, you said that it's been just universally positive, and I'm really delighted to hear that. I'm wondering what challenges or obstacles, if any, you faced along the way in convening this group of CEOs? 
I, you know, I, um, I wouldn't call them obstacles. I think, as as we all know, CEOs of organizations large and small and every size in between are very busy people. Yes. And so um, I would say we've taken that as an opportunity to structure the roundtable in a way to maximize the leadership and personal engagement of the CEOs, um, which has been to bring high-value discussions and high-value content mm. to them in a, a forum where they can – um, have off-the-record conversations about how these issues can be better, um, you know, uh, optimally handled in their organizations. That would be what I would say. I wouldn't call it a challenge. I think it's been an artful balance to get the uh, value for the CEOs exactly right. And and how did you um, persuade them of that value? You know, we started small. Um, our inaugural chairs, Henry Kravis of KKR and Terry Lundgren of Macy's, um, our very first meeting was a small meeting, 12 to 15 or so CEOs. And at the end of every meeting, um, Henry and Terry uh, and then uh, our leaders who followed them, um, uh, Alex Borsky, the CEO of Johnson & Johnson, and um, the uh, Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America, you know, have have continued this tradition that those at the end of every meeting or discussion, we ask the question, is this valuable to you? What could we do to make it more valuable? And how can we be sure we're bringing you stuff that makes this worth your time? And so we do a lot of co-creating with the CEOs as well. As as an example, we have a meeting coming up uh, in uh, the early summer, and we actively work with members of the roundtable to plan and design the agenda. Yeah. Oh, I think that's great. So uh, I'm wondering if the co-creation has worked to your benefit in as much as CEOs than maybe bringing in other colleagues to the table, to the roundtable? Sure. Yeah, that's how we've grown over time. You know, again, we, we've never, this has never been, um, uh, the goal has never been volume. As I mentioned earlier, the goal has been to have this roundtable serve as thought leaders and almost as an incubator for the, these things that we believe uh, with the roundtable need to be focused on. And so um, as the members themselves have become quite engaged in our work, it's been a natural extension of that for them to bring other people and other um, connections to the table. Very good. And just one last question. Generally speaking, how long is the tenure of a CEO on the round table? It's not a term-limited position, and many of the CEOs on the roundtable have been with us from the beginning. And so um, we have uh, little to very little attrition um, in membership of the CEO roundtable. As a matter of fact, the majority of any attrition has come from the CEO themselves retiring or or stepping down from their role, not from uh, any you know desire to not be involved. Okay. All right. Well, I have one more question if I can ask. May I, Mike? <laughs> I don't want to take the words out of your no, mouth. Go for All right, it. sorry. One more question. How about any challenges in the working with the lieutenant? So it's one thing to have the CEO actively engaged, very committed, but sometimes the handoff uh, is a little rougher than than we might like. So have you found any challenges in that regard? You know, I think that um, generally speaking, the lieutenant's group is a highly functioning, very engaged group of leaders. And one of the things that um, has been really fascinating for us to observe uh, over time, the lieutenants are come from a variety of specialties within the company. Some are, you know, chiefs of staff. Some are heads of global strategy. Some are the medical directors for a company. Some of the lieutenants lead HR functions. Okay. And so... When they come together under the umbrella of the American Heart Association with our chief science and medical officer for prevention and other folks on our team, I think they've really enjoyed the experience to think about these issues that are impacting their company in partnership with peers from other organizations that they may not always or otherwise be engaged with. The lieutenants work really hard. You know, I can think of a number of things that the roundtable has accomplished in its time that it's been in existence, and the lieutenant's fingerprints are over all over that work, and I think they're very proud of it. Mm, great. Thank you. Nancy, I've got a couple of questions directly related to the American Heart Association, and to get going on that, I'll make note of the fact that here at our school, we bring in frequently uh, people who are themselves chief executives or 
presidents of organizations. And every time somebody of that uh, stature is on campus, um, if we see them, we learn a lot from them. And you've already referenced several of the great um, corporate leaders of the day, Alex Gorsky, mentioned Bernard Tyson, Brian Moynihan. And a question for you that's more personal uh, what have you picked up from your contact with them that has helped you work all that better within the AHA and maybe with your own board? Sure. Oh, I've learned so much um, from each of the CEOs that I have the pleasure of interacting with, certainly the members of the roundtable, but in my uh, over 30 years experience with the American Heart Association at multiple levels of, of the organization, I've had the honor and privilege of working with corporate CEOs and high-level, very esteemed members of the academic uh, scientific mm-hmm. community. And, you know, I, I love to be a student. I'm curious, and I watch mm-hmm. and observe and, and love to have feedback and love to ask questions. That's just part of who I am as a person. And I can say from the members of the roundtable in particular, you know, the precision of, uh, of analysis and of questioning and of, you know, deliverables and outcomes that, you know, these are all mm-hmm. things that we live by at the HA, but seeing it in action with such a high-performing group of CEOs has been really um, has been really wonderful. I think another thing I might mention about the, uh, some of the names that you mentioned earlier that I had also mentioned, who are members of the roundtable. You know, this commitment to a vision that's beyond the productivity of their company is really admirable, and it's. Um, I think the reason for their success, that they see the world, they see their company as playing an important role in the world, but they don't see their company as the world. Um, and those leaders and many others um, who we uh, have the honor of being involved with at the American Heart Association, you know, I think that is a really precious thing. And that, of course, plays into how employees feel um, about being involved in their community and giving back. And certainly, um, you know, uh, obviously that tone starts at the top. And Nancy, here's a quick follow-on on that. I've often thought that one of the miracles of our universe is when people like some you just named <laughs> come into the office in the morning, they don't have to tell anybody to do anything. They've got 10,000, 15, maybe 50,000 or more people who are coming to work who know what to do and they get the job done. Exceptions, of course, And in your own experience now, this is more personally about you and the American Heart Association. What are some of the, um, I don't know, magical mixtures, if I can put it that way, that you uh, kind of put into the organization, whether culture or mindset or incentive schemes, to help all 4,000 people that work with you and for you get a great job done? Yeah. Um, Such an important question. And, you know, uh, just a little about the American Heart Association before I answer the question. I think when you say the name, lots of people have a visual or mental image of what we are and uh, who we are and what we do. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we are a scientific organization. We are we have 36,000 science volunteers and members that ranged things from cardiology to neurology to basic science and everything in between. We're a public health organization uh, working on advocacy and public policy at the global, federal, state, and local level. We're a uh, quality improvement organization helping healthcare be better. Um, you know, we're a global organization. We have seven international offices outside of the U.S., and we have 35 million volunteers and supporters Hmm. in communities throughout America. And so for our staff, um, you know, the thing that is so inspiring every single day is that we all come to work with a very clear purpose Hmm. that everything we do is going to help save someone's life. Um, And that is not a, you know, that's not something you can manufacture. And so for all of us at the American Heart Association, remembering the honor and privilege that we have to do the work that we do on behalf of people who are counting on us, most people who will never, whom we'll never meet, um, is a really rewarding thing. And we work really hard at the HA to make sure that's, you know, front and center of the culture of our work, no matter if you're a scientist, a public advocate, a community volunteer, or someone working on our behalf in Dubai, um, you know, that we rally around the fact that we are here to save and improve lives. <laughs> So let me remind our listeners that 
Well, I'm Jeff Klein. <laughs> I'm Ann Greenhall. <laughs> and he's Mike Yusim. Uh, <laughs> I feel a little weird <laughs> reminding our listeners who we are. I think the important thing to remind our listeners is that this is Leadership in Action. Yes. We have a wonderful guest on the show tonight, which is Nancy Brown, the CEO of the American Heart Association. Um, and that this is Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School on Sirius XM Channel 132. Um, so, Nancy, I, I want to kind of pick up on the conversation you've been having with Anne and Mike and and maybe flip the perspective a little bit. I, I wonder as you went through the process of, of you know, researching this report, um, and researching and, and publishing the report, you know, what did you learn about employee expectations uh, in terms of what they either expect from their employer or what they hope, what role they hope their employer would play. What, what is the employee uh, perspective on, on support for mental health? Yeah, we did um, in great detail survey employees, not just of our roundtable companies, but a broad section of employees in America. And mm-hmm. this issue really matters to people. It matters to people of all ages um, uh, and ethnicities. And people really want to have and desire to have and, and hope to see a tone at the top of their leaders um, walking the talk and supporting employees and their managers to have open conversations about mental health issues and to foster environments that are supportive and encourage treatment when needed. I, that's how I would summarize this um, in, in no question about it. I think some uh, people who responded to the survey felt that their companies were doing this and others felt that they weren't. And back to the issue that we talked about earlier of stigma mm-hmm. um, and openness, you know, it's very hard to, to begin the dialogue, but you have to start someplace. And I think issues around mental health um, are very tied to issues of inclusion in our companies and in our organizations. And so many organizations, thankfully, you know, spend time thinking about issues of inclusion. And I would say that this is yet another um, important aspect of inclusion. And when you... Um you know, when you look at it from from the, this prism from the employee that that you've presented here, um, how do you then turn around and, and assess American industry? I mean, what, how how as as a society would you say American? Well, not as a society, but it, in its role in society, how is American business doing today, and where can it improve? You know, um, what I would say is 130 million people go to work every single day in this country. And, you know, most people have family members at home that are connected to the employee and that what employees want is to work in highly engaging environments where they have a level of independence, as you Mm -hmm. mentioned earlier, to do a great job on behalf of their company and to have pride in the work that they do and to feel fulfilled um, and that they're making a difference. And as individuals are dealing with physical or mental health challenges, it makes that less optimal for people. And so although I can't say, you know, 86% of companies in America are doing this, that, or the other, what I can say is that, you know, you have to believe that CEOs of companies have a great intent and they want an engaged workforce and that they're really looking for tools and solutions of how to make that happen. And that is one of the reasons that we have created the roundtable is Mm -hmm. to be able to provide just that. And in terms of what employers want to provide, um, this, this this question kind of tacks in a, a slightly different direction. But I, I'm wondering with the advances in, in digital medicine, if that's changing the role that employers can play and, and what you were able to find through your research. You know, I think um, generally there's certainly an explosion on the consumer side of, di- of digital health apps. Mm-hmm. Um, digital technologies, telemedicine, all kinds of things that are allowing healthcare to be much more in the hands of consumers and mm-hmm. not so, quote, controlled by the gatekeeper, whether it's an insurance company mm-hmm. or an employer. And that's really powerful. And we certainly encourage um, employers, and we do for our own employees, you know, where there are tools and solutions that have demonstrated results. You know, we think it's important to make those available uh, for people, whether that's for physical health management um, or for management of of mental health issues. Uh, that's really important. The thing that's key is making sure um, 
you know, there, there's so many things in the marketplace today. Um, and if there are uh, apps and more information or tracking oriented um, devices or um, tools, they would have a different level of um, evidence base to them than, say, something that's an FDA approved medical device. Mm-hmm. But in general, you know, we really strongly believe in and we're at the front forefront of creating new science and working with technology companies to create these solutions because ultimately we think the power of health and well being needs to be in the hand of the individual. That's great. Nancy, when we started the conversation, you reminded us that the roundtable was uh, founded in 2013 and that it was a time when healthcare was very much in the news and there were questions about whether or not companies would be paying a tax in order to provide health care for all. I'm wondering, uh, just given the state of health care in the nation right now, do you find that same uh, urgency? How do you find the climate on the roundtable? I think um, the climate on the roundtable is very focused on um, making sure that we that individually and collectively the companies are <coughs> listening to employees and designing healthcare programs that allow individuals to live optimal, healthy lives, whether that's their physical health or their mental health, and that we recognize and another initiative we have underway is really helping employees understand all aspects of their health care and health care coverage. You know, it's always um, interesting, and this isn't a roundtable issue, it's just a personal observation, when you think of how much money all of us pay in copays and deductibles and our own uh, premium for health insurance coverage, how few questions we ask, even though we're consumers and in many other areas, we would be checking fees and double checking, you know, rates and things. And so we're trying to bring a level of education and awareness to employees on that as well. Um, So those are just a few examples. Yeah, very good. And now I can't resist, and then I'll let Mike get a word in here. Uh, how you know clearly you are leading uh, an organization that is mission driven you're passionate about this you have come up through the organization like what what brought you to this place what you know why here you know um back when i was a young girl I used to volunteer with my mom, um, who always was the mother on the block or the the person on the block. Back then, it was mostly mothers, you know, walking the block to collect money for various Mm. organizations and being involved as a volunteer at the hospital. And, you know, I long admired that passion and commitment to other people and helping to make the world a better place for other people. And that's really part of the value system I grew up with. And so... You know, as I when I graduated from college and went to work, I wasn't looking to where can I go to, you know, make the most money and, you know, beat everybody else. I was looking where can I go and really be fulfilled and help other people. So I started my career in fundraising for a big hospital system in the Detroit area and then for a uh, one of the comprehensive cancer centers in the Detroit area before I came to the American Heart Association. And I have never looked back or um, for a moment in my life thought, gee, I, you know, maybe I should have been a stockbroker on Wall Street, you know, yeah. because because what has mattered to me is this idea of helping to create solutions for people that, frankly, aren't as fortunate as I've been in my life or people or, or giving people a chance to use their volunteer time or their financial resources to help improve the world for people. And Nancy, as we come to the end of our time here, I've got a, a question that really builds on your dialogue there with Anne. Uh, you are in an extremely important position. You touch the lives of millions of people. Your organization, I know, has had a campaign to reduce uh, uh, cardiovascular diseases and stroke by 20 percent uh, by 2020. And for listeners who think that this this kind of work or this kind of organization or this kind of mission-driven activity um, is something they'd like to think about coming into and making a real difference in, what, uh, this is not career advice. This is more just um, existential advice. Would you have for them to become involved and, and play a role? Yeah. Um, We welcome people to get involved either as employees or certainly as volunteers. I mentioned before we have 30 
1.5 million volunteers and supporters in communities throughout America, doing all kinds of great things for the organization, focusing on raising the legal age to buy tobacco to 21 or organizing a Heartwalk event or a gala event in their community or doing digital marketing for the organization and on and on and on, work in health equity, work with our churches. You know, there's so many ways that people can get involved and, you know, people can visit us at heart.org and click on the volunteer tab. And that certainly is a way um, for individuals to get involved in the organization. And for those who might be considering working in an organization like the American Heart Association as a career, the thing I always say to folks is, the great thing about organizations like EHA is we are a business. You know, we are a billion-dollar-a-year revenue organization, and we do many meaningful things, and we are a business, and we have purpose, and we have a mission. So what better thing to do in life than to work for a not-for-profit organization? Um, because I don't think tax status, um, you know, makes the, the value of an organization any better or any worse. So well said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well here, said. Here, here. <laughs> Nancy, we uh, we have to wrap our program up. So we just want to say thank you for this conversation and for joining us here this evening. Thank you so much for the opportunity. It's been just a delight to talk with you. Oh, thank right. you. Thanks, Nancy. All right. So, um, Mike and Ann, we have uh, just a moment here mm-hmm. for our traditional after action review. Uh, I'll ask you to both point out something that really sticks with you from tonight's conversation. I'll jump in very quickly. Scale. 35 million volunteers, uh, seven offices outside the U.S. impacting millions of people. And it really speaks to the the power of having good ideas and good purpose. And then, and Nancy said it's an organization, building out, working a budget, taking it as a serious business, but affecting millions of lives. So great, Mike. So to build on your point on scale, I'll just underscore scale with a purpose (laughs) and how absolutely galvanizing and motivating that is. And just to add one other point that it all in answer to your question, Jeff, Nancy answered, it all begins at the top. Setting the tone at the top is so important. Yeah. And and related to that thought, then this notion of setting, uh, setting the tone at the top. I found it, it was, it was really pithy, but I really, and I really kind of latched onto it. Her statement that the, the member organizations, the CEOs that are a part of the roundtable, see their company as playing an important mm-hmm. role in the world, not as the world. Yes. Right? Oh. That, I mean, that's the kind of orientation we talk all the time about civic leadership and the role of, um, you know, the role of corporations and corporate leaders in today's society. And I think that orientation that says we're not the whole world, but my goodness, we can have an impact on it. Right. Reminds me of Joseph Wharton and the founding of the Wharton School in 1881 (laughs) for civil, you know, civic uh, action and responsibility. uh, 1881 were quite a few years since then, but uh, Jeff and Ann, isn't that the way or the direction the world is moving, more grassroots, more bottoms up, more let's just make things happen. Let's not wait for somebody else. Let's jump in with both feet. What do you think? I I think you're right. And so for our listeners, we'll encourage you to keep jumping in with both feet. (laughs) Uh, We want to say thanks for joining us. And if you have a question about something you heard on today's show, you can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at bizradio132. And once again, we'd like to say a special thank you to our guest, Nancy Brown, CEO of the American Heart Association. Also want to extend our deep thanks to our producer, Patty Hall, and our sound engineer, Jeff Simmons. Thank you both. I'm Jeff Klein. I'm here with Mike Useem and Ann Greenhall, and you've been listening to Leadership in Action on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 